Discouraged now, perhaps for the first time since just before he'd seen the wandering castle, the prince turned the clockwork butterfly homeward, to the castle where he'd been raised on the shore of the western sea. On they flew into the sunset, but it was an arduous journey and long, for without the lodestone to direct the butterfly, it was often aimless, subject to the wind, and difficult to control. The journey took many weeks, stopping frequently when their legs and arms grew tired of grasping the cold metal wings of the butterfly. And they did not travel in each other's comfort, but as newfound strangers. He could see the hurt and disappointment in her dimmed golden eyes. She felt betrayed, exposed, and unprotected, and little trusting of the prince, but alone without any other person in the world who might know or help her. She followed him, but hopelessly, through the many leagues of the sky, and he wished there was something he could do to instill in her the same love and happiness he had only now begun to realize after cultivating his desire through the many long years, but there was nothing. They sailed in raucous silence through the air, he loving unrequited, she in sulk and fear and sadness, until they caught the sun on the far western shore and followed the coastline north to the prince's kingdom, but this was not as he remembered it. In the prince's absence, nothing had changed for so many years that he could hardly recognize his home. After his tour of the countryside for the sake of a wife had ended in his disappearance, the many villagers and farmers and tradesmen had found themselves utterly insolvent, in terrible debt to the crown. And the king, twice despairing now for the loss of both his wife and son, closed the gates of the castle and hoarded there the taxes he levied like a dragon in a cave, not even daring to open the windows to let the sun break in upon his misery, and the kingdom fell into decline. Only the farmers, sneaking crops from the tax collectors, could keep from starving, and so the castle emptied as tradesmen left in droves in the night to the outlying farms. All, in their hasty debt for finery, were little more than slaves to the weeping king. The people worked tirelessly, but saw no profit. They starved, but did not die. They ate, but were not filled. They mourned, but tears do not ever run dry. Sons followed their fathers into the very same debt, the very same toil, struggling for subsistence without hope of ever having anything more. The kingdom stagnated, without hope of renewal or surcease in death. So when the prince arrived in a magnificent golden butterfly that reflected the red and orange and purple of the setting sun like a brilliant flying diamond, they were awestruck and paralyzed by the sight, for they had even forgotten to look for omens of change in their stagnation. Many stood gaping in the fields as it passed, mouths open wide like turkeys in the rain, while others worked on without a second glance, sure it would cause no interruption to their lives and hardship, were simply blind to the change. But change was indeed on the wind, for the prince flew over the heads of the sleeping archers, over the walls of his own castle, and landed in his own courtyard of familiar moss-covered flagstones. He leapt off the bright device with a bound, and yet there was no one to greet him. The courtyard was as empty and silent as a corpse. He called out, but no one answered. He opened a teetering door and peered into the dark halls of the castle, but heard no footsteps. The princess was afraid, but the prince was not one to be stopped by empty halls and silent stones. He strode into the great hall and the throne room, and caught sight of the head steward, that very same steward who had originally advised the prince to search the countryside for a village wife lurking, a squint, in a dank doorway. He approached the steward and embraced him warmly, lifting the scrawny man off the ground in his haste and excitement, 
Then, he began promptly prattling instructions for a feast to be set and all the great figures of the castle to attend. He had to repeat himself many times, for it seemed that even the servants' ears were clogged with disuse. The gay streamers, colorful banners, sumptuous dishes, and lively company the prince described were all things foreign to these men and women in the years that had transpired. It was as though he spoke of imaginary exotic lands, and not of things happening in this dusty hall, home only to spiders and lazy rats. But slowly, as a great mechanism turned slowly to life after a long while left dormant in a corner, the castle began to live again. Nodding servants and lethargic cooks began walking dreamlike about the castle and into the marketplace. Musicians restrung rotting lutes and blew the cobwebs out of pipes. Jugglers and gymnasts stretched atrophied limbs and opened tins of dry, caked grease paint, and nobles who'd languished in their dressing gowns frightened the moths out of their wardrobes. Even the king, now insensate with grief and addled by mourning, crept slowly along the walls of the banquet hall to his throne with the aid of a servant at his elbow. That first feast was stilted and joyless, but the prince's dogged enthusiasm broke many stony faces into thin smiles and even, once, an unexpected crack of laughter immediately stifled. The princess, though, did not join them. To her, the castle remained cold and cramped, the sea beyond the walls chilly and wild, the people strange and stern and frightening. She resented the need to eat or to sleep now that she did not have the enchantment of the castle to sustain her, and she was often frustrated by sudden fainting spells and fits of unexpected ravenous hunger. Most of all, however, she hated the stillness of the castle. She could not abide waking up day after day in the same room, in the same bed, with the same view to greet her outside her window. Those first days she did not notice so much, for the stillness was itself a novelty, but in a week's time the prince would find her wandering the castle day and night, seeking out some change from the monotony. And so the prince, now ruling the kingdom in his father's delirium, began a series of grand renovations to the castle to satisfy his beloved's desire for novelty. He ordered teams of builders to work day and night, throwing down old walls and building new ones, erecting new rooms full of fresh flowers, only to cast them down the following week and build indoor fountains or sunlit arcades or galleries of fine portraiture. He ordered tailors to sew new dresses for every day of the year, he threw open the castle coffers, and it was no time at all before the kingdom flooded with merchants from exotic lands and craftsmen of every description and their new and wonderful wares beyond imagination. The prince built gardens and towers and whole new wings of delicious pastries and game and sauces, hand-painting crockery and purples and reds and blues, tapestries of such cunning craftsmanship that they might have sparkling threads of silver and gold worked into the weave, intricate clocks and crystal glassware that rebounded the light of spidery candelabra in every direction, off smooth glass mirrors and through brilliant stained glass windows, over the faces of musicians and gymnasts and clowns until it seemed that every chamber was a whirling, spinning, dancing splendid centrifuge of light and color and music and gaiety for his beloved to taste and see and hear and feel again the thrill of new things and joyful change. Every night the prince had a banquet and invited performers and sages and magicians and dignitaries and bearers of wonders to excite the princess's imagination, and she, to her credit, wandered often into the marketplace and throughout the kingdom to meet its people and learn all the little unimaginable details of their lives for she found in herself a fascination with stories of normalcy, even if she could not bear it herself. And she saw how much the prince loved her, and how hard he worked to please her, but she could not deny the insatiability of her heart for new sights and sounds and pleasures, 
nor her resentment of him for taking her away from the one place that was hers, where she felt safe and comfortable and happy. Each day was full of wonders, but each night as she slept in newly decorated bedchambers and newly erected rooms, listening to new music from new minstrels, she still longed for the steady tread of her castle as it wandered ceaselessly over the land and sea. She smiled, but was not happy. She laughed, but without mirth. And the prince pleased her, but she did not love him.